Hello, Annie Trenders. Welcome to the Girl Taku, hosted by the ladies of Anime Trending. We are back with another fun topic on the table. My name is Gracie, and I'm joined by... Hello, I am Isabel, and... This is Agnes. So, without further ado, the Girl Taku today will be about anime you didn't click with. Uh, This is kind of a callback to our first ever podcast episode, actually, when we discussed when we discussed in particular about our favorite and unfavorite genres. I think they're kind of close in regards to how it works, per se. But animes that you didn't click with are essentially anime you've seen where you understand why people like it and you certainly don't think it's bad like you think there is merits going on with the series itself as to why people like it and why it is maybe even critically acclaimed for that matter but it just doesn't work for you personally for reasons of it's not your preferred genre you know Uh, and uh, that's that tends to actually be a pretty popular one is that Sometimes when you just don't click with the genre, even good anime from it, you don't really click with just by nature because it's not a genre that you prefer. So that's one example. But then other times, it's just maybe certain elements inside the story rubbed you the wrong way, but it's not enough to discount the entire series because like it takes up a small part where it's unfair. But that one thing that rubbed you the wrong way ultimately cut into your enjoyment of the entire series, so you didn't really click with it. That's totally understandable as well. And it's a bit of a difficult uh, situation because you really want to like it or you absolutely understand why people like it. And you just have sort of a disconnect as to your personal feelings of enjoyment towards it versus other people that you have seen. So that is the topic we are talking about today is um, in regards to the anime that you didn't click with. I'm going to start off this week's episode because it is my turn. So my first anime that I picked is actually a fairly recent one, and it is Tokyo Revengers. Now, I know that the adaptation for Tokyo Revengers is not at all perfect. I am very aware of that fact. I've seen the manga art, and it is incredibly beautiful that, unfortunately, it didn't transfer over to anime and uh, the animation at its like at its core also had a lot of issues. It was very static and sort of running into the quality of animation you are seeing nowadays associated with the very floundering slash uh, stacked anime industry in which they still have to fix and they haven't been able to fix yet. And as Sakuga people have pointed out, there really isn't that easy of a switch that you can just turn on and fl- fix. But that being said, even if the adaptation is at its best from manga to animated form, namely to do with aesthetics, there was still a huge following for the series itself, including one of my really good friends who watches, you know, anime and oftentimes will just kind of talk and discuss with me because he really wants to, you know, uh, talk about my his opinions and wanted to hear my opinions. And we just sort of like, you know, discuss our thoughts on every episode and he absolutely adored Tokyo Revengers um, anime. Yes, he admits the art was ingrained. Yes, the animation was great, but the plot still really hooked him, which was the most important part. The plot and the characters still really hooked him. And 
I have plenty of, you know, belief based on what I see online that a lot of other people felt the same way. Like, yes, animation and, and the aesthetics isn't the best, but the plot and the characters are still really, you know, riveting and they really like it. And so I always felt bad because I didn't click with that series. And so every time my friend is excitedly talking to me about it and wanting so bad to hear my opinions, I'm just kind of like, eh, you know, like it. And like there wasn't really too much for me to discuss. It, it's actually one thing if I hated it, you know, and I could like come and I can maybe even go into a debate on why I hated it. But that wasn't the case either. I was just very lukewarm about it. And the more I discussed with him and the more he caught on to the fact that it wasn't really clicking with me, we realized that my disconnect comes from the central antagonist and Tokyo Revengers. So this isn't a spoiler. You find out very early on that one of the characters in Tokyo Revengers is... Um, Kisuke, I believe his name is, and he is in part of the gang activities, and he's like, he's a bad influence on some of the characters, and because of him, a lot of bad stuff happens in the future. So uh, this is a little like ReZero, but with gang activities instead. And essentially, so yes, this guy is going back in time in regards to fixing things. But uh, Kisuke was the big reason why I had a hard time connecting with the stories versus, you know, my friend and from what I've seen, a lot of other guys online. And it's because, first of all, these um, a lot of this takes place in the past and the past that it takes place in are with middle schoolers. And so uh, with the gangs, you know, there's a lot of turf wars. There's like, you know, it's a lot of physically fighting, even amongst friends. If they like get in an argument, sometimes they like physically fight each other. There was like one really funny scene where like two guys who are best bros and they're like they're basically unbreakable but they're going through like a rift um which is which is apparently very common for people to see they're kind of like a bickering the old bickering couple and they were like throwing stuff at each other and stuff like that and Kisuke is very different because he operates in the shadows and he's very emotionally manipulative he knows what to say to get people to move a certain way and he acts a certain way to um come off and like give people an idea of what they think he is when in reality he is different and the main character uh takimichi it's hard for him to tell the other people like what his true nature is because he quote unquote doesn't really give sort of an opening for him to be like look look this guy is sketch you should not believe him so the disconnect comes from the fact that to me personally the main, the main antagonist in Tokyo Revengers, his manipulative actions are just so obvious that I cannot believe that there are people who would actually fall for what he's trying to do. It's just, I'm like, is like, do people, are people really falling for it? And in the stories, the characters are, and only Takemichi knows the truth. And even Takemichi is like, this is going to be hard to, you know, explain and prove to people and let, like, you know, the members believe in. And I'm just like, is it, though? Because everything he says and reacts and, like, acts is just so sketchy and so obviously has, like, insidious uh, motives that I could not really fathom him being this, like, evil mastermind like the story really sets him up to be. And this is the uh, disconnect I have with my friend because he, my friend is a guy and certainly he at one point was a middle school boy 
And uh, I, you know, Agnes, you might disagree or Agnes and Isabel, you might disagree with me. But at least and when I think back to like how sort of cliques are formed and friend groups are formed um, between our school years, it's elementary school, like girls and boys do play together because it's like they're all kids and stuff. But then around middle school is where it got very like gender specific. Like I don't really... I can't really say I've had any guy friends during middle school. I can probably count on like two fingers my total number of guy friends I had in middle school because all my friends were girls. But then in high school, the cliques started to blend again. And then you instead you're sitting with groups of people who are both guys and girls. Um, And so my experience in middle school is almost completely with girls. And I can certainly tell you that there are middle school girls who are a 10 times better manipulator than the guy that is written is and like I'm sorry that's the truth I I have seen them and they are much more coy much more um you know I not slimy I would even say like much more smart and intelligent in the way that they go about manipulating like it's just it's like those are the people that I am used to seeing and interacting with so when I see someone like uh when I see someone like the protagonist I'm sorry the antagonist in Tokyo Revengers, who I think is just doing manipulative reactions 101 from like a guidebook. It was just so obvious to me. I'm just like, how is anyone buying his BS? And, you know, my friend explained like, well, maybe that's how it was a lot of times with girls in middle school for you because you're always with girls. But he's like, you know, as a guy growing up and remembering my middle school self, guys don't really operate that way in middle school. It really is just a lot of like direct confrontation and sometimes actually a lot of times apparently physical fighting. So when there is a guy who is being a little more manipulative and coy, that it is genuinely something that just flies over their head. And I was like, oh, that is fascinating because what the bad guy is doing in uh and Tokyo Revengers would never fly amongst me and like my friends and other girls as well I know that for a fact because it's too obvious but he's like yeah but like you know like me and knowing all my friends growing up in middle school absolutely we would fall for his crap because that's just not what we think about that's not how we go about like sort of maneuvering social situations in middle school as like a middle schooler and stuff and so he's like that's why I actually really like the antagonist. I find him really riveting because boys in middle school are not usually thinking like that and aren't usually doing stuff like that. So that's where the disconnect comes from and why I struggled with clicking with Tokyo Revengers because obviously the antagonist is the cause and the root uh, the root cause of everything. So if I can't click with that fact, then I'm going to have a hard time with the rest of the story. And I completely understood then why Tokyo Revengers had such a huge fandom online amongst boys because and I and I will say like I didn't really see much about Tokyo Revengers amongst the girl anime community fandom. I say specifically anime because I'm not a manga reader. Once again, it might be different for manga because like I said, I don't know in regards to how it is with the manga fandom, but I can say for sure for the anime community that it didn't really hit any of the girls, but certainly a lot of the guys were really invested And I thought that was an interesting reason as to why it wasn't clicking with me and um, why it clicked so much with my friend and so much with the other guys. And so that's the first anime I wanted to discuss as to why it didn't click with me. 
I kind of want to turn it now onto you two. Um, you know, like, do you disagree with, you know, what my friend said or what I said about, like, sort of middle school socialization? And, you know, did you watch the anime at all? If you guys had any feelings towards it? I will say, as someone who did read Tokyo Revengers, the manga, before the anime came out, that that is a very guy thing. And this is coming from somebody who hung out with guys for most of her life in middle school and also in high schools. I generally did not associate with a lot of girl groups or cliques because my brain is simply not wired that way. I don't care for the manipulation and the deceit and the hidden body language and read between the lines that girl cliques usually have. For me, when I was growing up with boys, it's always very straightforward, honest, and truthful among guys. Like, if you have lies, like, you can tell when somebody's lying and you would have, like, a physical confrontation with them or you kind of just, like, make peace, you know, with between bros. You never go about gaslighting and stuff like that, which is something that I notice very commonly with girls that start up a lot of drama and which is why I never associated with them because I'm like, I don't want to deal with this. So I think for what your friend was saying that for to have guys that come across a character such as uh, Kis- uh what was his name? Kisuke? I think his name is Kisuke. I might have butchered it, honestly. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Wikipedia says... Oh, dear. Um... Kisaki. Kisaki. Oh gosh, go. I did Kisaki. <laughs> Kisaki. I'm sorry. I'm That's sorry. That's fine. See, it's okay. See, this is why I, told I mean, you it, it shows. It's, it's evidence to show that you didn't really like the series, and therefore the names didn't really click with you either. So that's okay. Yeah. Then you get a pass on that. Um, Kisaki would have been somebody that completely overrides all of the idea of like boy trust and honest and truthful like moral code and ethics. And they would have fallen for him and been unable to see through his deceitful lies. Uh, compared to our main character, who actually is aware of the impact that he has on the past and in the present. So you agree with what my friend said then, essentially? Yes, I do agree with that because I see it a lot in guys. Very rarely will a guy try to lie in your face or be an asshole about it. Unfortunately, they learn when they get older, but... <laughs> Yeah. yeah, and then I think that the other thing is like Tokyo Revengers is also painted in a way that it's a romantic gang story rather than a actual gang story that you would see in America, for instance, where there's like a lot of pimps, there's a lot of prostitutes, a lot of alcohol, there's a lot of drugs. For the Japanese version of uh, Tokyo Revengers, it's a lot of that romanticizing of the biker gang culture, mm-hmm. the people with the pompadours, the breaking out of teenage spirit sort of thing from the usual confines of Japanese society and therefore it resonates a lot in teenage boys who are still trying to grapple with the idea of differentiating themselves in a more constricted Asian society which is probably why you see a larger fan base especially in Southeastern Asia, because when I was talking with our staff, a lot of them were saying like, oh yeah, it's really big here in Southeastern Asian culture because, you know, we have a lot of rebels, we have a lot of like punk gangs and stuff that are in the school, but they're not to the same extent as they have it in the West where it's people who are littering, going outside, pimping, scamming, human trafficking, drugs. It's, there's none of that. It's just a very romantic filter almost until you get to the future, the future part or the present, I would say, where Takemichi's like, oh, there's something bigger at stake. And then it starts to get a lot more morally gray Mm -hmm. and whatnot. And so I think that's why I was interested in Tokyo Revengers, because at some point you realize like the rose colored, rose colored lenses don't quite work the same way. But I don't disagree with what your friend says because he's absolutely correct. Boys have an iota of like one when they start out in middle school. Yeah, exactly. So 
that was a, a case where I found the result of why it didn't click with me to be really interesting because I and I and I ended up having a long discussion with him later where I'm just like really like they would like they would actually fall for what Kisaki's doing and he's like oh yeah a hundred percent and I'm like there is no way girls would fall for it it's just too obvious and so like do better man and so that's and that was something I thought about when I was watching I'm like come on Kisaki like you can do better than this this is too obvious so uh so that was like uh so that was my first pick because I thought it was such an interesting situation that shows up and obviously as a preface it does not mean all middle school girls are manipulative backstabbers you know passive aggressive sort of thing I just do think when uh you know people are going through their hormonal age because that's why a lot of people say middle school is the worst that is literally when you are most hormonal and your hormones are changing like crazy you there you're going to see some particular changes in the way that people interact with others and i think one thing that does tend to show up in middle school is that gender stratification that does go away as well is what i want to note because once again my experience is in high school like the clicks would start blending again it's just specifically middle school it got very boy versus girl sort of situation so so i just wanted to put that little uh, disclaimer at the end here so yeah so that was my first pick and I took up a lot of time so I'm gonna try to speed through my second pick um my second pick is a very beloved anime it is One Punch Man and this not clicking with it actually started in season one which is the one that is critically acclaimed and loved by fans so the reason for that is honestly quite simple I'm just not really into superhero-esque stories, to be completely honest. Like, even, like, you know, Marvel is, like, the biggest thing right now going on in the U.S., mm -hmm. and I don't really feel a particular attachment to Marvel. A lot of times what I'll do is... Um, you know, with every new movie stuff, I'll read the Wikipedia summary and see if I'm interested. In my, and if I think the Wikipedia summary does me enough, I'm just like, OK, you know, I, I have every all the information I know. So if the next movie connects to it somehow, then I can just watch it if I'm actually interested in it. And so uh, so superhero stuff just aren't really a thing, which Agnes, I know you're going to be like, what about DC heroes? Because, you know, we yeah, I was going to say, I'm like, the, every conversation that we have is usually about the Bat family. And I'm like, I, I don't know how to comment to that. Greatly. Yeah, so I think the thing about, uh, I am invested in the characters of DC heroes, but I, I would say even with the stories, I am kind of like, eh, about it. I'm not jumping at That's true. Any... Yeah, we talked about this. Yeah, exactly. So it's more about the characters than anything else. And so that carries over to anime. This is why I never bothered starting My Hero Academia. I saw it was a very shonen style for, and it was about superheroes. And I was just like, you know, I'm, I'm not digging it. I'm not into it. And so... I only watched One Punch Man because there was a lot of hype about it. And I know it started off as just like complete gag comedy with like no intention of becoming big. And then it became huge. And so I thought that sort of, you know, unexpected popularity is always 
something that's very fascinating for me. And so that's why I checked it out. And I can say with absolute confidence, it is still not my favorite. I don't click with it. I don't really care about superhero systems and like superhero powers as a whole. But I will say that I do completely understand why people really love it. Because you know what? I do like a lot of the characters in there. I really love Genos. I think he's such a puppy, even though like he's kind of an idiot puppy, but he's very earnest and sweet. And I love those kinds of characters. And, you know, uh, Saitama is just very, very funny on how nonchalant he is. And the animation is genuinely beautiful, especially in the first season. I know that this had a lot of discourse in the second season, but uh, the first season, the animation is genuinely very, very gorgeous. And I think there is a lot of merits to it. It's just not made for me. I, I think like One Punch Man being just fine and enjoyable, but ultimately not something I would ever care to rewatch, not even clips of it, is a sign that, you know what, if you are into superhero stuff, you would probably really, really like it. But as someone who's just naturally not into superhero stuff, it's already a pretty big deal that I find it fine and fun and not something that I would find boring and not even bother touching. So... That is my second pick for anime I didn't click with, which is One Punch Man. So I have used up my all my a lot of time, so I'm just going to move on past now. So, Isabel. <laughs> do, do you even give us room for discourse? Yeah, You're I, just I like, you. Okay, okay, fine. Yes, you, you may ask a question. <laughs> yeah, my question is, I don't know. Why, why do you think you don't like superheroes? Like, is it because it's unrealistic or like superhero stories and things like that? Or the superpowers are just kind of, you know, maybe overrated for you? Is that the reason why I'm like trying to understand perhaps why? Like, as we have our Boku Hero yeah. fan in the chat, so this <laughs> is very interesting. And I think, Isabel, you really like One Punch Man, right? <laughs> I do. I really like One Punch Man. I like my, my hero and the Marvel series too. So I think that's why I'm having a hard time understanding you. I like. I just want to know why, perhaps, is it, I, is it because it's so unrealistic, perhaps, that's, maybe? No, because I am a huge fan of fantasy, and fantasy is absolutely not realistic, so I wouldn't say it's that. I think a lot of superhero stuff are very formulaic, and their characters and their actions are very are very meant to fill a role in entertainment and not trying to say something deeper about about society. That is honestly, I think, the reason why. Because going back to DC Heroes and the reason why, even though, once again, I do not consume their comic books or their movies and stuff, I like their characters is because I do think DC Heroes has some, has like a sort of, irreverence and a um, connection to deeper stuff in society like using superhero superman who is considered one of the most boring heroes by the way i want to point out even i find i find him fascinating because of the fact that i think he is such a perfect example of you know immigrants because he was he's essentially a refugee he came here because his home is lost and this is the only home he knows, like many immigrant refugee children are when they come here or they go to other places and they grow up there. Like this, that is the only home they know. This is this is their home. But they are still looked at and treated differently. And there is this sort of pressure for them to be perfect, to be that model citizen that Superman is. Because don't forget, Superman isn't really himself. 
as a superhero, Clark Kent is actually the real identity of that person, right? right? Superman is his superhero persona. And I think that is just so telling of the fact that for Superman is outwardly an outs quote unquote outsider. You know, he's that refugee. And so when he is openly that, he has to be this model citizen. And it's only when he's hiding that status that he can just be himself and he can be normal. And I think that speaks to a huge part of American culture because, you know, Superman is very rooted with, you know, America in regards to where the stories take place. And I feel like that's the same with all the DC heroes in this particular regard. I know Green Lantern is actually um, a very big, the character is very revolved around veterans and stuff. And that's also a big deal as well. And I just don't really feel that with Marvel heroes. And I don't really feel that with the superheroes and anime and stuff. I think they're just here for entertainment. And unfortunately for me, entertainment isn't enough. If I want entertainment, I'd rather watch something super sweet and calming, like like, like laid back camp. That's entertaining for me. And it, you know, <laughs> and so um, if you're going to give me a little more than that, you've also got to dig a little deeper in regards to um, connecting with society and like your themes. And I just don't feel like superheroes really do that. So, yeah. <laughs> Got it. Okay. Thank you for answering my question. <laughs> no problem. Agnes, did you want to say something? anything for you? Did that actually clarify anything for yeah, you, Isabel? I, okay. I think I finally, yeah, I understand. Okay. Yeah. Because I also feel somewhat similar to that. But at one point, I can like sit in the theater and dissociate myself from analyzing a movie too deeply like if you go watch like an iron man movie you're not going to sit there and go like wow tony stark is such a broken man you just sit there and you go like pew pew rocket i think like that's why i can sort of sit through a lot of marvel stuff because my brain doesn't compute my brain doesn't bother to care anymore about character tribulations because you're right like a lot of marvel and anime superhero stuff is pretty trivial it's the same thing with one punch man like i don't think too much about the theme and whatnot behind the series my brain immediately turns off at the sound of this is a parody and i'm like ah okay this is just entertainment media that i don't have to worry about <laughs> so I, my brain just shuts off and i'm able to kind of dissociate myself from my my better passion which is similar to yours grace it's like watching a film trying to see between the gray lines and figure out something that there's more meaning behind it yeah it's uh yeah and i think the thing is i unfortunately can't really turn off that side yeah yeah I <laughs> that's that's the thing that's yeah the i i yeah. can't turn it off and i think it has to do with the fact that i have just been writing for so long and trying to improve my writing for so long i have been asking for edits and critiques since middle school like that's how far back it goes in regards to analyzing and dissecting stories and figure out what makes it work and what doesn't and how can I apply it to myself so I can become a brighter writer and stuff I've done it for so long that it has become very very automatic to me at this point like it's not even a turn off and on button anymore it's just there it's perpetually on and so that's why I can't do what you know you're saying you can do where you can just sit there and be like pew pew rockets no I'm gonna be like where is the I have the iota yes. of a middle school boy that gets impressed by michael bay explosions by michael and bay. my brain just turns off immediately <laughs> yeah 
Uh, but yes, okay. Uh, did you have anything else you wanted to add, Agnes, before I go? No. Okay. No, you hit the nail on the head. You're good. Okay, great. So now I'm going to move on because I'm definitely taking up too much time now. So, <laughs> Isabel, uh, what are two anime that you didn't click with? And now I'm very curious to see if maybe this the two anime you picked that didn't click with are one, are one of them, like, one of us really, really like. So, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, the two anime I pick are actually in genres that I usually do watch. Oh, okay. Okay. And interesting. so it's interesting that, you know, I ended up not liking these as much or just not clicking with them. Uh, the first one I have actually is uh, Kaguya-sama, Love is Oh, War. okay. Wow, okay. Yeah. <laughs> and I haven't gotten to season three. I'm really just, I have just started because I want to catch up to season three, uh, but I feel like right now I am just watching the first season just to get through it and because it I, I don't know if it's because it doesn't follow the re regular rom-com formula that I'm used to. Kaguya-sama jumps a lot between kind of like scenes between the two characters and it kind of it's kind of jarring. I, I was like I had watched the first two episodes before like when it first started airing back in, I have no idea, maybe 2016 or something. Um, I don't remember the year, but yeah, when it started airing, but I just, I didn't con continue from that. Um, and I think it's because I have a, I'm not able to connect with the characters because usually rom-coms, you usually kind of get that beginning sense of, you know, these two characters kind of like each other or, you know, their friends are trying to get them to go out with each other. So there's all that. Um, but in, you know, Kaguya, some other they're, I feel like they're in that student council room. That's like the only setting. And then maybe they go outside and things like that. But it feels like I'm supposed to like them already or understand that this is a war between them. They're trying to um, make up, you know, sh um, plans versus each other to get them, to get the other person to like them. And that kind of makes their characters a little bit kind of disconnected for me because they'll be like very vulnerable in one second and the other second they'll be kind of like making up things against each other trying 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 to fight each other so i had a hard time kind of balancing the two like the characters um but that's not to say you know i can understand that people really like this show because it's so dramatic and there's a lot of kind of like gag scenes or funny funny jokes that get thrown around Unfortunately, I don't really laugh at them either. I'm just like, okay, it's, it's sometimes it's not something I haven't seen before, so I'm, I like don't laugh at it as much. I think the drawings are really funny. I really like the art that accompanies it, especially, uh, especially Chica. I think she definitely makes the show a lot more bearable to watch for me. Um, but otherwise, yeah, I just have a hard time connecting with the two characters and why they like each other and why they would do this to each other. And the fact that I need to be told how everything is, like, especially since there's the narrator in each episode telling you, you know, like, even in the beginning, they tell you what Kaguya's back background is like and Shirogami's background, and this is, this is where we're at. And so I felt like I didn't have that kind of, like, period where I learned about the characters and why they like each other. You know, of course, yes, they're smart and things like that. Everyone would like that type of person and if they're sweet and kind. But, you know, what makes this person different that I want to know? But yeah, that's how I feel. I, don't, I know Gracie watches it. I don't know if Agnes, you've, uh, you've watched it or I've read it. I've watched a good chunk of it. I went mm -hmm. to go see season three in uh, the in theaters. So I, I know what you're oh, talking about. Cool. Um, my cousin 
when I first introduced her to Kaguya-sama, she also had a very similar reaction. And I think you kept the nail on the nose that there's no, now that I think back about it and trying to retrace how Kaguya and Shirogane met, there's no basis on why they like each other in the first place. You're kind of thrown into this weird sundere war of them fighting each other and trying not to be super vulnerable, but you don't really get a feel or understanding why their types would click in the first place or what would they find attractive about each other. Um, but I would say, like, I think the majority of the anime fan base don't really care too much about Shirogane and um, Kaguya. They care more about the hijinks and the side characters. Oh, okay. Is what I would argue. Because, like, nobody sits there and makes a lot of cute fan art of Shirogane and Kaguya-sama and being like, Oh my gosh, I hope they get together in the second episode. Now everyone's like, chika, 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 bow wow or something. <laughs> and talk about the rap, the really famous rap scene that now comes out of uh, season three. So I feel like the fans don't actually quite connect as much to Shirogane and Kaguya. It's more of like the backstory of them having the Sundere War that spurs on the further seasons, but the rest of the season is actually not hyper-focused on their romance at times. You will have certain scenes, like for instance, uh, the gang trying to figure out a way how to get Kaguya out of her house so that she can go see the fireworks with them as a sort of like a, a bonding activity in the student council, or the introduction of new student council members as the school year rolls by. So I think people are more interested in that rather than actually seeing Shirogane and Kaguya-sama get together. Yeah, that's a good point. I think that's what I expected, and that's where okay. I expect the series to go. So now learning that I'm supposed to meet more characters, um, especially joining the student council, that might make it more interesting. Yeah, I and I think you might click well with... Mm -hmm. Like you said, like Chica is super bearable. That's what makes you like the show, or at least want to sit and watch the show because Chica's very entertaining. I think you'll also like uh, Ishigami because he's a gamer like the two of us. There's actually a comment on the in the original manga, I think, where it's talking about Discord having like supremacy, um, which is really funny because all of us here use Discord to some capacity, but oh, really? probably you and me in this chat use Discord the most because we're gamers. As mm -hmm. per the stereotype, right? So I think you might find that a little bit more relatable. And then some of the other characters are a little bit more funny as well. But yeah, nobody, I don't think nobody really cares about Shirogane and Kaguya getting together at this point. <laughs> so just watch it like no expectations, like Gintama, I guess, for the comedy. So uh, hearing you two talk about this explains why it clicked so well with me. Because <laughs> um, I, I adore Kaguya-sama and... To put it simply, I love mind games, so trying to figure it out before... <laughs> the girl that loves mind yes. games, and the two of us here are like, dude, dude, comedy. <laughs> trying to figure out what they are trying to do, and like, you know, before the narrator explains it, is something I have a lot of fun with. Obviously, I have a soft spot for tsundere, so I always think it's hilarious when two tsundere's are paired together, because I'm like, it's a mess in the making, and I am all here for it, you know? <laughs> and then, I think the other thing is, uh, so, you find out more in, this series is, you start off in the middle, where they're all, they already have a very obvious crush on each other, everyone knows about it, like, literally the entire school is aware of it, and they're trying to just get one or the other, um, to confess but as the series goes on it slowly reveal reveals how it got brought up to that stage in particular in third season only two weeks ago did we find out 
the moment that Shirogane had seen uh, Kaguya-sama, Kaguya, and reveals the fact that, you know, and the narrator was saying, you know, this is a war of who confesses first. But if this was a war on who fell first, Shirogane would have lost because Shirogane fell for her first. And so, and that's, and that we do not find out until the third season. I know and I completely understand why that format doesn't work with certain people. That is just ironically a format I really like. Starting in the middle and then slowly uncovering what was happening that led up to this moment while the present time is continued. That is a very particular thing about me that I just really like. And Kaguya-sama just checks that big checkbox right there for me. So, uh, so that's uh, so. I think like you know, hearing you two talk about it kind of explains why I just love it so much. So, uh, so yeah. So that's sort of my reason as to why Kaguya-sama is a big hit for me. I think in terms of loving it, I would be the one who loves it most. And then Agnes enjoys it, and then it's you, and then you, Isabel, who's like having a hard time clicking with it. So yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you know, my opinion might change, you know, as I continue watching and catch up uh, to you all. So I'm hoping that will change and I'll like it a lot more. That would make it easier for me to watch. Um, but for right now, I'm just like pressing the next button when I feel like, okay, it's time for the next episode. And, <laughs> that's yeah. not good. Yeah. <laughs> so And that's saying for somebody who loves comedy, like from Gintama. So I think mm-hmm. that's a, that can be a pretty big red flag to the fact that the comedy for some reason for someone who does enjoy Gintama that much somehow is not clicking with you <laughs> yeah I have no idea maybe because Gintama is just like a- a- actually really really dumb like out of this world <laughs> it's actually really dumb that's yeah, true yeah Kaguya-sama it's, it's less mind games. genres like it's not completely comedy but it's not completely rom-com really either it's it's a it's mm-hmm. a pretty it's a pretty blended genre story so yeah <laughs> Yeah, it just feels like a slice of life as well. Oh, uh, what is your second one then? Yeah, my second pick is from a sports anime. I think I oh, have boy. talked about this before, but it is Kuroko no Basket. Oh, okay, okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But yes, in general, I actually really liked watching Kuroko no Basket. Um, and all of you know that I usually like watching sports anime. And uh, Kuroko no Basket was probably the fir- one of the first sports anime that, uh, I watched because of my friend who was really really into it and he was like you know i love kuroko you have to watch this show he's just like me and i'm like yes kuroko is just like you you are that character i can understand why you like the show um and but he knew i liked basketball so i watched it for the sport obviously did not get it for the sport but it's okay uh, because i did like the characters at least the build-up i enjoyed watching kind of the learning more about the generation of miracles and then each character who's on like a different team and how they used to be on Kuroko's team and their particular quote-unquote superpower that I didn't realize was a superpower I just thought they had better basketball skills than everyone else until they really reveal um, different things so I ended up maybe watching like the first season of it and then didn't continue on because I, I think I just like the sport too much that I hope that I was wishing for a balance for them to kind of explain how basketball works. Um, mm. Even even if they have all these superpowers or, you know, stuff like getting into the zone or special eye powers, like I was willing to accept that. So it's kind of like superpowers in basketball, but I think 
it goes a little too far. And uh, at some point, the matches kind of felt repetitive, or I just felt like I was watching a duel between the teams, or like a duel between the, the two characters from the Generation of Miracles instead. Uh, because basketball is a team sport, so I'm expecting more out of the team and how they kind of work with the team together to, you know, get points and eventually defeat the other team. Um, so I was more invested in Kuroko's team, um, and then Taiga as well, who's kind of like the main character who is supposed to go against these generation of miracles, and he's supposed to team up with Kuroko. Um, and he doesn't have, you know, those skills or special powers, but, you know, he's strong enough to go versus these um, these players. Um, so I really like their relationship, but um, and then I can see how people like the show because it, Kuroko's... No, Kuroko no Basket also builds on how they became teammates and how uh, how they came to be and also kind of how their teammates see them because some, some of them are you know, like way too special, um, like shooting three-pointers from half-court and always having the perfect shot. Um, so I feel like those types of things um, are kind of quirky and weird and interesting to see, and not to mention the animation as well. I really like seeing kind of how they dashed and things like that. And I think their depiction of the superpower uh, that the characters had was nice too, especially like they had the glow in their eyes, um, which you don't see in real life, but you can definitely see it if you do play, you know, some type of sport, maybe, you know, you can see someone who's really determined to beat them. Um, but yeah, so for Kuroko, I guess I really liked the beginning and learning about all the characters and their relationships, but towards the end, I felt like the superpowers became like Super Saiyan and maybe a little bit too much like Prince of Tennis, so I found it kind of mm, more I was going to make that comment. I was like, it sounds like Prince of Tennis. <laughs> Prince of Tennis. It's a lot like Prince of Tennis. <laughs> yeah, so I, I also watched Prince of Tennis, and when they also pulled out the superpowers, I was like, okay... D-drive, am I right? Yeah. <laughs> Please help me. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, they have interesting names for it, at least. Um, I think I would enjoy it if I was maybe much younger mm -hmm. and didn't know anything. I think if I had watched the show, maybe in elementary school, when I played basketball, like, nonstop, like, every day at recess, that would be the first thing I would go do. Um, I would enjoy it a lot more, and maybe I would, like, yell out some superpower names and stuff like that and try Sounds to pull about it right yep, yeah i did that too <laughs> so yeah i mean if you you know if someone likes basketball or you know that they like basketball um definitely a great show to recommend to get them started because i haven't seen any other show that's like that um especially you know with the amount of characters you meet um and all but you know if you can't get past them and the yes the prince of tennis type things um yeah, it'll be a different type of show for you, I feel like. I don't have anything to say because I've talked about before how sports anime is actually one of the genres that I don't really like. Usually it's much easier to count the anime I do like versus the ones I don't. So Kuroko no Basket is falling into the majority percentage. So there isn't much yeah. for me to say in this regard. <laughs> I want to say, like, I feel like Kurokuro Basket is part of that weird anime sport generation where it tries to blend in with a lot of superpowers to make characters really special. So it's kind of within the same generation as Prince of Tennis, which is why there's a lot of callbacks for it. 
Versus I feel like older sports anime like Slam Dunk or like Haikyuu, for instance, focuses more on team dynamics because it's a team sport. So it feels more grounded and realistic to talk about the sport in general. But it feels like, yeah, Kuroko no Basket and Prince of Tennis definitely take a step way too far where you're like, I don't think this is realistic anymore as a sport. <laughs> mm-hmm, right. And the first thing that draws you to, into watching is because you know how the sport is played out. Or you even want to learn more about this sport that you haven't learned before. But if you do watch it, you're not really learning about the sport. You're just kind of learning about powers. Um, yeah. So it's a little different than what you intended. Yeah, and I, th- I think that's a pretty interesting point, too. Because I also felt that way while watching Kuroko no Basket, or which is why I didn't quite keep up with it as I did better with Haikyuu as a different story. Mm-hmm. And I feel like fans would maybe say the same thing for other sports anime, like maybe like Diana Ace or other team sports where they actually do focus on team dynamic and executing the sport rather than having these superpowers, which is a very 2000s anime thing where a lot of characters get a lot of different power-ups to justify how much better that they are than other people. Yeah, yeah. If, if, if they just had a little bit more balance between the characters, like actually showing that, you know, they can lose uh, and, it's, and they learn more about their powers instead of just, you know... Um, hammering out their powers all the time i I would feel better about that that's um, fair yeah but yeah that's my second pick um so yes i believe it's your turn act okay um let's see i don't know where to start with this i don't think the two topic one of them is definitely related to a genre that i don't necessarily click with and then the other one is kind of a toss-up and i've mentioned it on this channel just because it's something that kind of irritated me with the way that it executes its story. So I'll start with the one that the genre doesn't click with me in general. Uh, many of you might recall that I don't do well with mecha or sci-fi genres, even though I have become a very big fan, as you can see in my social media and also my my chats with the anime trending staff with like stuff like Star Wars and whatnot. But sci-fi is not usually my strongest, and I have a lot of mixed feelings about Vivi. Oh, that's right. Oh, okay. I remember that. I have a lot yeah. of mixed feelings about Vivi, the Eye of Fluorite. And it's not because it's a mega series. I wanted to love it for a long time because it talks about, and I'm actually very fascinated about this concept of AIs in the future. I mean, I've seen stuff like Blade Runner, which I really love. Um, there's stuff like uh, Alternated Last Carbon. There's a lot of cyberpunk stuff. So I'm into those genres. I'm just not into super hardcore sci-fi and the way that Vivi tries to execute itself as a super hardcore sci-fi sometimes throws me for a loop and one of them was I came into the series completely blind I just knew that the visuals looked good the music was good and I'm like and there's a song stress who does all the singing and it's supposed to like bring harmony to the world and I'm like okay you know I can I can get on board with this and I sit there and I watched the show and the first time that it time skips between episode one and two I was thrown into a loop. I was like, what just happened? You know, Matsumoto pops in in episode two and he's like, it's been, I don't know, 10 years since we last met. I'm like, what do you mean? It's only episode two. So I had a really bad beginning with Vivi with how much discourse has happened of them jumping timelines. And the second half of the series got a little bit better because I understood like, okay, you know, Vivi is basically an AI, so she doesn't quite decay at the same rate as humans. So time doesn't pass by as normally for her as it is to us. So I kind of reconciled with that into season two. And then the execution of season two felt lackluster for a better words. It was 
okay for the direction it went in, but it wasn't something that I was quite into by the end of it for Vivi. I love the music. The visuals were pretty good. I would say the fighting choreography is a little bit janky. I got kind of a headache watching it, and I'm like, I don't, I don't feel like this was good choreography other than the fact that the camera just shakes all the time. Um, but other than that, it was all right. But and I can see why people love it because it has a lot of reminiscence of Nico talks about it, uh, of like playing near with like automated machines after humans die. But other than that, it wasn't something that continues to stay at the top of my book. Yeah, I remember you not clicking with it, and I know that you wanted to like it because so many of us at Anime Trending did like it, me included, but also James and Nico and, you know, a lot of other people really liked uh, and just overall people in the Anime Trending community also really liked it, so... Uh, so I remember you saying that, you know, it didn't really click with you. I think it is, I understand why it was jarring for you about the time skips. I definitely had that moment too. Um, and I, there was like a what moment, but also like I kind of did the same thing as you where I reconcile with it because it's like, oh, she doesn't really decay. So 10 years probably does feel like a skip between episode two and three. And so um, I feel like there could have been a better transition between the two of them because it feels like the scenery for 10 years has not changed in between like the first episode one and two so i was kind of like what how do we how are we as the audience supposed to tell without the narrator or matsumoto telling us it's been 10 years you know yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> i would like to be able to deduce that for myself i'm a i'm an intel i would like to think that i am an intelligent audience and i don't like to be dictated on how i view certain pieces of media and i would like to be able to deduce that for myself instead of having it kind of be thrown in my face like 10 years have passed i'm like okay sure Although I will say like the introduction of the space hotel in episodes three and four is definitely a telltale sign of like, yeah, we have definitely progressed further into the future. And then other and other modes of it, like, for instance, the ancestor of who has always been like anti-robot, like finally becoming a robot himself mm -hmm. so that he can live long enough to fight Vivi is also like really interesting. But otherwise, at the beginning, I was like very conflicted <laughs> with the time. Right. Yeah, I think. Um, gosh, I don't. Because the thing is, Vivi is flawed, and but I ultimately do like it more than I dislike the flaws. I, uh, I do think the last arc is ironically the weakest arc of all things because it was, in my opinion, the most predictable one of everything. Once again, I'm actually not usually a sci-fi watcher, so... I, uh, so if I can predict something in a sci-fi story, that means it's probably very predictable because I don't usually engage in those stories in the first place and uh I think I think for Vivi for me personally and probably for James as well I'm gonna I'm gonna guess James he's not here obviously but is that I think we just really connected with the characters I really love Matsumoto because I love sassy little you know Oh, Amatsumoto's a joy yes. <laughs> to watch. He's funny. Like, I will say, like, Vivi has a lot of great points. Music, characterization, um, emotional depth is there, too, in some of the minier arcs at the beginning of the series. But sometimes the pacing just kind of throws Right, <laughs> yeah, and I get that. I think, I think I just got used to it, is the thing. Yeah, you got yeah. used to it. I marathoned it after it finished, so oh, I had very different expectations That is, that is very in. different. Actually, that kind of ties into our topic it, of the yeah. binge watching model is sometimes things yeah. are 
Vivi does not work with a binge-watching model because you're just like, what just happened between episode one and two? Because I talked about this with a, with a very close friend of mine, too, who absolutely loves Vivi, but he had been watching it week by week. I binged it in, like, two yeah. days. No, I agree. Yeah. I don't think Vivi would work as a binge model in the same way that Haikyuu on a weekly model just does not work. So. No. <laughs> so I think I think that definitely explains some things. Yeah, but uh, but I would say, in my opinion, you do have a higher uh, threshold in regards to uh, sci-fi stories because for me, it's already a big deal just to enjoy it. So I so. Once I am able to reach a threshold of enjoyment in the sci-fi story, I don't really ask for much more. And so because this is actually one of the genres I don't usually like and engage with. I mean, my threshold for sci-fi, like I said, it's not my favorite genre, is already really low. Like you look at Star Wars episode movies one through three and the trilogy, like my threshold's already very low, crazy. They're very, very <laughs> low at this point. So <laughs> I don't know why that also applies to Vivi, but for some reason, Vivi didn't cross that threshold of very terrible uh, the originals one through three and the trilogy from Star Wars. Well, they, that's something you'll need to think about. <laughs> yeah, I'll have to probably think about that on my own time to figure that out. All right, so what is your second anime that you didn't click with then? Okay, the second anime that I didn't click with is something I mentioned on this channel before, and it's going to be Bungo Stray Dogs. Ah, okay. And most of you probably already know that the reason why I don't like Bungo Stray Dogs for, ironically, is because of its main character and the constant push in reminding us of his horrible traumatic past where he's berated by his elders that he's useless and he can't go anywhere by himself because he can't control his powers and i'm just sitting here and i'm like how many times is this repeated through the season i can almost it's like batman's like, like backstory this. we're like we don't need it don't <laughs> give it to us <laughs> Or it's like Jason Todd's story of like, I was resurrected in the Lazarus Pit. It's like, we get it, dude. Shed your baggage. Well, let's you. just continue from that point, please, because we all know about it now. So. Yeah, exactly. So it's like, I love the I love the variety of the character powers in Bungo Stray Dogs. I like the side character backstories, especially in Bad Apple. Bad Apple, for its reasons as a movie, is not particularly great but i like the backstory that it's provided and gives us a bigger world view of yokohama and a different villain that is not from the mafia or from the uh from the the uh, the other antagonists that are coming over from the west like i think it's very interesting i just can't click with atsushi's constant reminder of his background and that just completely jars the story when all of the rest of the characters are progressing forward with what they are doing with their plot. Like, Dazai is very interesting. Octogawa is sometimes interesting. Chuta is very annoying, but very hilarious to yeah, watch. Yeah, it's funny to see him <laughs> and, get kicked around, not gonna lie. <laughs> you know, it's really funny because Chuya has the most OP power in the series. Like, he has the most OP power in the series, yet he gets kicked around a lot. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's just my gripes with Bungo Stray Dogs. And... Yeah, that's just basically, and it's because like you watch other animes that have better storytelling that don't need to remind you a million times about why a character is like this, but they do it in ways where they twist it around and tell it in different ways. Like you watch like Naruto, everybody knows what Naruto's backstory is. You know, a boy is born and he has the uh, the Nine Tail Spirit infused in him, and that's why he's ostracized from school because he's seen as a monster, right? But 
it's continuing to blend that same backstory. Different, it's told in different ways, but it's done it so well that the character, that we as an audience, don't mind if we go through another backstory of it. But it's told in a different perspective that makes Naruto connect with other characters or come into conflicts with other characters, right? Versus with Atsushi, it's like, does he really have a conciliatory moment with the tiger inside of him or what? Like, I don't, I don't, there's no resolution to that at all. There was a point in the plot of Bungo Stray Dogs where he does have, like, a talk to talk about his mentor, but it was kind of a lackluster response of, like, his mentor going, I just wanted to protect you. I'm like, bullshit! So, okay, I was was about to talk about that scene because I actually like that scene, so... I hated that scene. I was like, what? Okay, so... I know, I know literally nothing about this mentor, and he suddenly appears, he's like, I was only trying to protect you, and therefore I domestically abused you. And I'm like, huh? Well, don't forget, he was already dead when he shows up, because he got killed. Right, yeah. Yeah, so it was a note, but uh, what I was going to say is I... uh, Bugo Stray Dogs was actually on my... Uh, like list that I ultimately picked One Punch Man, but uh, but basically, uh, but I didn't click with Bingo Stray Dogs in a way that was different from you, Agnes. Is I liked all the characters, including Atsushi. It's just the characters could only take me so far, and the plot just did not interest me at the end of oh, the yeah, day. Oh yeah, so. that part too. No, I don't deny that at all. At one point, you kind of get used to them. You're like, okay, they're doing the same shit again. All right. Yeah, exactly. So that's why I didn't click with Bingo Stray Dogs, but I can see how some people would love the character so much that even with the plot being lackluster, they continue to hold a lot of love for it. That being said, yeah, it's like Star Wars. the reason why that I like that particular scene, I'm not going to argue with you on like the backstory being annoying. I do think they hammer it in a little too much per se, even though it is realistic to how PTSD and trauma works. It is constantly there in the back of your head. It is always hovering there. It never fully goes away. So it's realistic, but I get why on a writing and a visual standpoint that it's it's just too much, and I don't disagree with that fact. What I did like about the scene about, like, his mentor and, like, already, like, he shows up already dead. And basically, Atsushi is very hateful towards him for good reasons, even though the guy was saying, like, had, like, a note about, like, how excited he is about Atsushi. Uh, Atsushi. And I think, I think it's because I kind of unfortunately relate to it, not with my own life experience, or kind of with my own life experience, not to Atsushi's degree, but with a lot of other um, Chinese immigrant stories and the fact that a lot of Chinese parents who are um, immigrated here, they are really, really harsh on their kids growing up. If you are not 100, you are a failure. If you are not getting perfect scores on SATs, you're a failure. If you are not in the top five, not percent, like top five, you are a failure. It, if, from an outsider's point of view, the stuff that Chinese parents will push their kids to do is very abusive. I know, um, I know a family who basically was insistent on their kid going to Harvard and Part of that process was, I'm, I don't want to give too much details, obviously, but part of the process was just her um, her daily life had no other stuff. Like, she had no room for anything for herself, and she barely had any time to sleep that she would just sleep in a closet for a few hours before she wakes up and continue to do the thing. And yeah, she got into Harvard, and so, but, you know, I'm saying it out loud even now, and it sounds very, very abusive. And so... But 
you know, I cannot say, you know, with certainty that all these Chinese parents that I know who push their kids to the brink, to the absolute physical, mental, and emotional brink, that they did it with the intention to hurt or break them. If anything, it is because they wanted their kids to be so good, so powerful, so perfect that nothing in life could possibly hurt them anymore. Nothing in life could get in their way. And I, I even understand where they came up with that process because a lot of these Chinese immigrants of like my parents' generation, they came here directly after the Tiananmen Square massacre where many of them have lost friends to the protests for democracy. They came here from with the childhood and cultural revolution where the government was literally murdering people for having, you know, read novels of another country's. And so... Um, so I understand why they have this desire to be like the best way to protect my kids is to make them as strong, as powerful, as invincible as possible. That's the best thing I can do to my as a parent and just completely forgetting the actual emotional, mental effects that it leaves on the kids. And so um, so I did connect with that moment a lot. My parents are not like that. I do want to note that they did push me, but definitely not to the extent many of the Chinese parents around me have. And so um, and even then, I felt that pressure. Like I understood like in that moment, I really connected with Atsushi because Atsushi was um, now that he knew like you know, that mentor was doing all these very, like, abusive stuff because that mentor thought he was doing Atsushi a favor to prepare him for the real world. I really connected with that of, like, that conflict because, you know, at the heart of it all, now that you know it is out of something good and love, it's hard to, it's hard to reconcile still with the hurt and the anger you feel left behind on you because of the trauma they leave behind. And so, that sort of conflicting nature of um, of Atsushi being like, I don't know what I feel anymore about this. And like, how dare he like just come into my life and make all this stuff messy again with that stupid message and just dying before I even see him. Like, how dare he? And Dazai being like, you are allowed to feel those things because those things are real and they are understandable. And I thought that was very powerful. So I, so that's why I really like that scene in particular. Um, so that, so uh, that's like a roundabout way. But basically, that was why I like that scene. But also, I'm ironically in the same boat as Agnes in that the fact that I didn't click with Bugo straight dogs. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you have a really fair point, and now we're kind of extending into overtime for this podcast because it's an interesting note. We both agree that there are some really good thematic things about Bugo Stregados. Now that I'm sitting here talking and talking, listening to you talk about the PTSD part, and I'm like, you know what? You're right about that. It makes sense why it's repetitive scenes over and over, and it's like the exact same composition, the exact same camera pan of like Atsushi's eyes going wide, and there's like three figures in the background in this dark background that are constantly telling him to be better, to be more perfect. But at the same time, we can both agree that the writing execution is not Yes, good I, I think there are better ways to show that trauma. I think that 
unfortunately, as realistic as it is, sometimes it just doesn't work in execution. So that's why that, that is one of those ones where I'm like, I I think I know what the author is going for, but I don't actually disagree with you. And the fact that it is just hit all, it is just like pounding you on the head and you're just like, I get it. So yeah, yeah. either that or I think it's more maybe an anime production thing. As well, I don't oh, necessarily be. think it's yeah. a manga production because I was looking through like the panels. Because in the last couple podcasts before I went to Spain, we talked about the healer trope, and I mentioned Yosono. Yes, right? yes. Yosono mm-hmm. herself doesn't get a lot of screen time in the anime, but when I was reading through the wiki and through the manga, she has an incredible amount of screen time when it's talking about her childhood and how she was abused by Mori for her power for these soldiers who are basically dead, and that already is like really deep. I think characterization and background that leads credence to developing her current relationship with Mori and why she broke away from Mori to work for the detective agency. So I feel like that's more of an anime production problem that they keep kind of hammering at the same scene and composition without having enough writing to be able to have the audience deduce like, oh, this is a PTSD scene, you know? Because they do it already very clearly with Yosuna, where it is a PTSD scene for her seeing a lot of dead bodies and her power being abused by Mori. So that's just probably one of the possibilities behind why both of us don't click with Bungo Stray Dogs is bad adaptation, probably. What about you, Isabel? Cause I- <laughs> yeah, I unfortunately just uh, ignore all that and I love the <laughs> show for what it is. Oh, uh, she love loves it! Okay! <laughs> Oh, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm sorry. I spent like the last, I think, 20 minutes no. just yelling at how bad Hugo Street Dogs is. Like, I'm like such a diehard fan that I like, there's some, oh. I think I haven't seen the movie yet. And I'm like, I can't move on until I see this movie. And it's been like a couple of years. But that's like crazy. Wait, I have a question. I have a question. So you, mm-hmm. so you do like the plot then? I do like the plot. Even if it's a little repetitive, I can see your point. Like, I, I also was like, I know exactly what scene you're talking about. Picture in my head. Like, <laughs> I think maybe like knows 50 exactly times already while you guys about. are talking. About it. <laughs> but yes, I kind of ignore all that because I just like the characters so much and then their powers. I'm just so curious about everything that, you know, I also read some of it as well. So um, yeah, just those scenes in the, in, the, in the manga itself as well. I like how they are portrayed. Um, and then just, I also read like a lot of discussions on these characters that people. Oh have. boy, she went deep. Yeah, I went, I went a little too far on this one. But it's okay. <laughs> I, I just really like the show. And if okay. you really like the show, sometimes you just ignore things. Right? Yes, so, ignore yeah. this bliss. I see how it is. <laughs> I'm closing my ears and eyes and my brain, and I refuse to accept anything else. No, I get it. That, that's what I was saying. Where I like the characters can only carry so far for me, but because I do, I do love the characters. But I also understand why some people love the characters so much that it can carry them further. So I, I get it. <laughs> is what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, props to your dedication because I I can't get that far. <laughs> Alrighty then, so I think that wraps up. We went a little over. We actually had a lot more to talk about than expected because uh, we had some you know conflicts, which is great because it makes for a more fun discussion so but anyway i hope everyone enjoyed this topic today and um you know understood our reasons as to why we didn't click with certain anime and once again it's fine if you love the anime because 
that's the whole point is we know why people love it. It just we didn't click with it personally. So I hope you enjoyed listening to us to discuss and somewhat debate because we had some disagreements or different opinions on the matter. And I hope you will be here next time. Bye, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye.